Green Street Joinery and the American Craftsman Podcast are proud to partner with Montana Brand Tools. Montana Brand Tools are manufactured by Rocky Mountain Twist in Montana, USA. With numerous patents dating back to the invention of the Hexshank system by our founders, we strive to produce accessories that add precision, flexibility, and efficiency to your toolkit. In addition to woodworking tools, we produce many high-quality cutting tools that are used by the aerospace, medical, automotive, and industrial markets. Our end product has a fit and finish that is beyond comparison. Montana Brand Tools are guaranteed for life to be free of defects in material and workmanship because we build these tools with pride and determination. For 10% off your order, visit MontanaBrandTools.com and use the coupon code AmericanCraftsman. All right, here we are. Number three for the day. Yeah. Series two. Episode seven. That's right. Moved on to tea from coffee. Mm. I got water. Still in the uh, I Know a Guy Viz cup. I-K-A-G-V-I-Z on Instagram. It's an awesome cup. Got a little celestial seasonings, peppermint. Mm, that sounds pretty good. Yeah, not bad. Well, what are we what are we talking about today? Mahogany, and Mah- I don't mean uh, Mahogany. song by uh, Diana Ross. <laughs> not familiar with it. <laughs> <laughs> only only people from a certain age group will even understand that reference. But yes, that was a a movie, I believe, mm. and uh, that was the theme song. Mm. Sung by Diana Ross, starring Diana Ross. If I heard it, I'd probably know it. Miss Ross. I, I don't know if I'd know it if I heard it. Well, I take it back then. <laughs> so, the the third episode in the, in the series of, you know, like we do them in these blocks of four plus the Patreon, mm-hmm. was sort of like dealt with materials and techniques and everything like that. And I wasn't sure what to do. You know, it wasn't an extreme progression in techniques. There was a refinement in what they were producing. Right. But it's still I, mortise and tenon and dovetail. Yeah, and yeah. Yeah. A lot of that stuff is pretty much still true to this day. Mm-hmm. But something that stuck out to me was the, I'll put in air quotes, the discovery by Europeans right. of mahogany. Talking about the same way Columbus discovered uh, the new world. <laughs> yeah. That's that's exactly that's exactly it. And uh, it was just Columbus Day the other day, so it, that is an appropriate uh, comparison. Excuse me. And if you're a, a modern cabinet maker, mm-hmm. you'll know there's quite a bit of confusion as to what mahogany really is. Oh yeah. So let's start out with, well, these are the questions I ask. What is it? Where does it come from? So nowadays, a lot of lumber is sold as, air quote, mahogany. Or, or mahogany, as some, <laughs> some say. Yes, mahogany. <laughs> some dumbasses, says it. Right, right now, Lou's doing a spit take. Uh or similar to mahogany, mm-hmm. you have uh, kaya, which is the real name for African mahogany. Okay. Sapili. Yep. Uh, I'm not sure if you say this. Utile? Utile? Have you ever, Utile? Have you ever yeah, seen that? Sure. But that's 
more commonly known as Sipo, Sipo. That's another one. I always called it Sipo. Sipo. And then I heard Corey and Rob this weekend saying, saying, what did were they, they saying say? Sipo? So that's another uh, mahogany lookalike. Mm-hmm. Macor. Okay. And Luan, which is Philippine mahogany. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there, there's really two types of mahogany, real mahogany, and we're gonna, we're gonna, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, have to go to biology. If we go back to biology class in high school, which I skipped uh, quite regularly, <laughs> you thought we butchered those names before. <laughs> That's right. Hold on to your, <laughs> hold on to your panties. Yeah, here it comes <laughs> <laughs> a, a genus or genus is a term used in biology to describe relationships between several organisms that share enough similarities to be part of the same family mm-hmm. but are still distinct species. So, again, on the discovery of mahogany, the Europeans had to come in and name it. <laughs> is that that white privilege that we're talking about? <laughs> yes, and classify it. Um so we have the kind that comes from the Northern Caribbean. Mm-hmm. That includes even Florida. Uh, could you imagine it was mahogany in Florida? Man. Jamaica, Cuba. You know, we've heard of Cuban mahogany. Mm-hmm. Hispaniola and the Bahamas. That's uh, the short-leafed West Indian mahogany. And uh, For you uh, geographically uh, inept... Hispaniola is the island where the Dominican Republic and Haiti are. <laughs> Thank you. I'm sure Hispaniola you never even heard of that. I'm sure you vacationed there and didn't even know yeah, it. I'll be heading there in April. Yeah. So that's the Suetenia mahogany, mm. shortleaf West Indian mahogany. And then there's the more prevalent Suetenia macrophylla. That's big-leafed Honduran mahogany. Oh, yeah. That literally means, yeah, big-leafed. Yeah. Indigenous to Central and South America, uh, ranging from the Yucatan, which is that uh, eastern peninsula of Mexico. Yucatan. Yeah. <laughs> Yucatan. Yucatan. <laughs> the Yucatan Peninsula. I don't know. If my, this is going to be a tough season for, my, for, for pronunciation. My lack, lack of education or, you know, when you grow up with these regional dialects, mm-hmm. like, uh, well, anyway, it goes from Yucatan to northern Brazil. Like, how do you say the state that's between California and Washington? Oregon? Oregon. Now, I always grew up saying Oregon. Oregon. Yeah. Uh, How do you say the the one that's like shaped like a square with, uh, the mount, with a lot of mountains and and snowboarding? Uh, New Mexico, Wyoming, no Colorado, yeah, Colorado, 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 and uh, the fruit. Which one? The <laughs> the fruit <laughs> apple. <laughs> the the one that you can't compare to apples. Oranges. Yeah, orange. Some people say like orange, orange, or orange. Yeah, yeah. The region, the regionalities they call them. Yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna destroy all kinds of words. Yeah. Um, if you're offended, take to the comments. <laughs> so we know who to block. <laughs> we're, we're doing our best. We really are. <laughs> um. So. 
to kind of summarize that, <clears throat> there's tons of stuff sold as mahogany, mm-hmm. uh, and there's two kinds botanically. Right. Yeah, genuine. Right. Um, Cuban mahogany, Jamaican mahogany, that's all the same stuff. Mm-hmm. And then there's the Honduran mahogany. So African mahogany is not even a thing. These are these are. Was it a disambiguation? Yeah, yeah, these are trees that aren't related botanically, but they just <clears> happen <throat> to pass off in appearance. Right. Uh, like Sapili, it's a that that kind of came out as mahogany uh, cousin or whatever. Yeah, but it's a it's a nice wood on its own. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, we don't use it in an attempt to mimic mahogany at no, all. We, we use just it use it because it looks nice. Yeah, definitely a different sort of color. Yes. Um, although you get different different colors depending on the region of Africa that it comes from. Right. So uh, from Ghana, I think is some of the best. Some. So the mahogany tree discovered in the Americas was given the genus Swetenia, and only this genus is classified officially as genuine mahogany. Hmm. Um, so there you go. I, I bet that a lot of people didn't know that because I didn't know it. You know, we all think that, you know, it's related somehow. Yeah. It's marketing wank. It, it, yeah. It makes me think of fish. Yeah. Right? The Patagonian, uh, toothfish. <laughs> when they give like the orange roughy and all, all, they come up with all these marketing names. Yeah. You know what the Patagonian toothfish is? Sea bass? Chilean sea bass. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they they aren't they aren't selling that at the fine restaurant. Like, are they? Yeah, we can't we can't sell this as Patagonian toothfish. Yeah, there's there's a ton of that going on in the fish trade, mm-hmm. and uh, and just as much in the lumber trade. It seems. Yeah, because as as we deplete the supplies, we got to come up with you know. Yeah, and the price goes up. Then right. you need to offer something at a lower price that is you know similar. You need yeah. to market it somehow. Um, so the next thing I write in bold print from my notes, what's so great about mahogany? Well, excellent workability. Uh, and it's really got a great balance between its density and its workability. Mm-hmm. It, you know, uh, it's just hard enough. It's, they, they use that Goldilocks. Yeah. Term. It's just hard enough, not too hard. Yeah, like tight grains, but not hard. Right. Um, excellent stability. So, you know, flat pieces stay flat. Unlike a lot of the the uh, knockoff mahogany. Right. Even, we, I mean, we got a couple of pieces of sapili in the shed that yeah. uh, are useless. Yeah, the ones that came flat sawn or, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Sippo, Sipo, whatever, supposed to move a lot. Yeah. Um, I know Rob uh, and, uh, I'm sorry, CT were, was working with a lot of that. Yeah, making a couple screen doors and yep, stuff. Yep, We used Sapili for our similar mm-hmm. project. Yeah, I'm not sure. Our lumber supplier sells something that's called African mahogany. Mm. I'm not sure if it's Sipo or if it's the um, the Kaya... Kaya, yeah. Um, the Kaya, if I remember, it's more brown. Okay. 
especially compared to Sapili and, and Mahogany, which is like it does have. Although what I did learn was that even true mahogany varies greatly mm-hmm. in its color palette. Yeah. For, yeah, I did like a, some reading on on the mahoganies, on the African mahoganies recently because I was curious. And I think they said that Sipo is like the closest color-wise typically mm-hmm. to authentic mahogany. But that's something we run into all the time and nothing wrong yeah. with the, this stupid thing back here. That top and face frame is oh, Sapili. Yeah. That's right. It doesn't look, I no. mean, doesn't look anything like the Sapili that we're used to. I mean, yeah. it's super light. Because we usually get quarter saw, and it's usually like a, a deep burgundy almost. Yeah. Yeah, and, as you know, after you cut it, it's like cherry where it starts to darken. Um, but this, I mean, it's been down here for a month now. Yeah, easy. And yeah, it almost looks like looks like cherry in the video yeah um so the the stability and workability that's those are probably the two main things we would look for call wood uh you know really preferable yep um it's got decent rot resistance okay so it's not like uh teak or you know, the other, uh, how do you like the way I misspelled exotics on the note? <laughs> exotics, but respectable. Um, and as you might imagine, the new growth mahogany isn't anything close to like the old. I'm shocked. <laughs> like everything. They don't make it like they used to. <laughs> In wood, especially. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, we were talking about this just yesterday in the shop about pine. Mm-hmm. Like old growth pine, you could that's you can make furniture out of that. Oh yeah, but get your hands on some. Yeah, that's the problem. Um, just got to pay through the nose. Yeah, so the the new growth stuff isn't as uh, as durable as the old growth from mm-hmm. a few hundred years ago. Uh, and this is subjective, but in the what's so great about mahogany category is its grain. It's beautiful. It's a good looking wood. Oh yeah. Um, especially if you get into some of that figured stuff, if you like that kind of thing, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's got great color. And, uh, the last thing I got here is it's big. It's large, clear lumber, mahogany trees. I don't know. Nowadays were huge. Yeah. It's like the Sapili, you know, that's why it's such a sustainable tree because it grows so big and mm-hmm. they, you know, they, and it grows fast and they plant them a lot. And by clear lumber, that means there's no branches. Like if you've ever gotten a board and then there's a knot in it, that knot meant there was a branch there, right? right yeah. Yeah. And you have black knots and red knots. Mm-hmm. You know, one was a, was one that died and one was one that was, you know, like alive. So you could get a mahogany tree that goes 80 feet up before you hit a branch. I wonder if they drop their limbs like a poplar or if they uh, they just kind of grow up that way. That's that's interesting because, I mean, that's a good question. It's hard to think of a tree getting to be, you know, 100 feet tall with a 60-foot trunk. Without having any branches, like right? Yeah, well, yeah, like or how the does that work? Branch just goes. 
It grows and, and the, the branch just, just keeps push going. Up. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. it must push up from the bottom. Like it starts like a little canopy and then it goes. Then it goes know, up. We're, we're no uh, arborists. No, not at all. So that's what's so great about mahogany: excellent workability, excellent stability. It's a good looker, mm-hmm. and it comes in really nice flat. Big boards because the trees grow so large, especially in the 1700s. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So when did your P- Europeans discover mahogany? Mr. Fun Fact. Oh, my fun fact. Oh yeah, that's because I got the original version with the uh, uh, oh with the with the writing. Yeah, can you read that over there? Oh yeah, I got it. Fun fact number one. Mahogany is the national tree of the Dominican Republic and Belize. Hmm. And on the Belizean, the Belizean coat of arms, there are two woodcutters bearing an axe and the motto, under the shade I flourish. Well, they have woodpecker squares, those guys. (laughs) Can you believe Chippendale didn't have a woodpecker? He might have. (laughs) <laughs> he might have invented it. Now, that happened 20 minutes ago, but for those listening now, it happened a week ago. Yeah, um, yeah. they probably had an ad in the back of the that book you put out. Yeah, for Woodpecker Squares. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, look at those plans that, that Chippendale had in that book and tell me how useful a woodpecker would be. Right. Right? Yeah, you got 12 woodpeckers. You're never going to build anything like that. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> you know that we did meet a convert from the Woodpecker family uh, at the Maker's Camp. Did we? Yeah. Didn't somebody come up to us and express that they're going to they're moving to Starrett because of the uh, aluminum uh, uh, nature? Uh, Johnny? You don't remember that? Oh, it was Johnny. Yeah. Yeah. Well, take that with a grain of salt. Sorry, Johnny. Was he trying to? Was he just trying to? Might have been blowing smoke. <laughs> yeah, just kind of coddle up. Um, so thank you for uh, uh, sending me backwards there. But <laughs> when did Europeans discover mahogany? Who do you think the first Europeans were? Given the location, the Spanish. Yeah, very good, very good. Uh, you did well in high school. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> That's debatable. My test scores were good. There you go. The Spaniards were the first Europeans to see mahogany in use by the native population, mm. and they were quick to note its outstanding properties. Yep. They were making canoes, you know, basically working the wood by, you know, lighting it on fire and, yep. and hollowing it out. Um, so, you know, not I don't even know that if they had metal tools. They were probably digging it out with sharpened, you know, stone and things like that. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, because we're talking about the 1500s. There are churches on Cuba with mahogany work dating back to the 1500s. Um, but like they kept chocolate a secret, mm-hmm. they kept this a secret, basically. Well. And they declared... Um, uh, mahogany, a royal monopoly. And so, for the most part, all the mahogany stayed there in Cuba and in Havana, the capital uh-huh. city. And they didn't export it to Europe. Exclusive. Yeah. 
That's some uh, Spanish privilege. Yeah. I mean, they were the, whew, man, they did some messed up stuff. <laughs> yeah. They were some yeah. bad man pajamas. <laughs> yeah. The Spaniards took no prisoners. They were, they were a ruthless bunch in their conquering. Um, yeah. I mean, a country now that, you know, you would think of as, you know, relatively benign and sort of, um, I don't say insignificant in to sound bad, but just sort right. of just in a like, larger world. They're just kind of just there. Like, yeah, man, back in the 15, 16, 1700s, Spain was in, they were fucking stuff up. They got, they got a dirty, you think America's got a dirty past. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder what the Spanish history books are like, you know. Yeah. In uh, confronting, uh, you know, all the carnage. Yeah. Well, the European countries are much more uh, willing to tell the truth, it seems. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's just starting to, to get some toehold here, and there's a ton of pushback. People do not want to hear it. Yeah. Um, I mean, the thing with Columbus Day and that, that just passing, I think officially we call it like native people's indigenous days, people day. indigenous people's day. I don't know if yeah. Uh I think some states have adopted. I'm not sure federally if it I'm not yeah. not positive. Now, in my studies I came across a court Columbus and I'm willing to take one for the team. Columbus has uh, been kind of the one Italian uh American that figure that Italian Americans can kind of latch on to as like saying, all right, let's get recognized for something besides a yeah. mafiosa boss. What about Amerigo Vespucci? Yeah. And people don't know about that. America was named. Incidentally, I mean, isn't he a better, uh, I'm not, I, <clears throat> I'm not of the school that says like condemn everything Columbus mm-hmm. did. Cause he did a lot, especially for like uh cartography and stuff yeah, like navigation. that. Um, was he personally responsible for like, you know, killing people and and slave trade and stuff like that? I uh, maybe a little bit, but probably not to the significance that people are attributing it to. But I don't think he has a lot of significance in American history, which is mm-hmm. why it's confusing that we have a Columbus Day when yeah. it could be Amerigo Vespucci Day or whatever. I mean, he was he's more significant to the discovery of the Americas than yeah, well, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about that. <laughs> well, first, uh, yeah, Columbus sailed for Spain, and so you could, he had the, the Spanish cruise. Right. And so a lot of that stuff is attributed to the cruise. Right. Columbus Day was supposed to be a one-off. Mm-hmm. And I, I think you, you'll probably remember when— Was it LaGuardia? No, the Sicilians were lynched down uh, in Louisiana. Oh, yeah, 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 I remember now. At the turn of the last century, mm-hmm. and it was kind of like you know it was a it was an international incident, mm-hmm. and uh, Italy had uh, pulled its uh, representatives out of the country. It was a big deal, mm-hmm. and America kind of threw Italy a bone and said, "Oh, we're going to have like a Columbus Day to commemorate you know the uh, Italy's contributions." Yep. But just a little patronizing, a little exactly. patronizing to placate gesture. Yeah. the Italians, but the Italian Americans wouldn't let it go. Rightfully and, so, and that's how we got Columbus Day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was supposed to be a one-off. 
little little diversion there, a little more uh, history. Yeah. Um, the French, we'll get back to it. They also had uh, uh, colony. You might know this because um, Haiti is, they were French speakers. Yep. And, uh, so on the island of Hispaniola, they found mahogany there. But they didn't really export a lot of it back to Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, and so by the 1700s, it mahogany's still kind of a, an undiscovered thing uh, as far as we're concerned in our, our for our topic. Right. Uh, I'm not sure if it's because, you know, France had all that walnut, too, you know, that they were growing. Mm-hmm. But anyway, 1721 rolls around, and Britain's not really down in the um, West Indies, as we call it, mm-hmm. uh, in, this, in the same way the Spanish are. But they, they passed this act in 1721 and remove all import duties from... The, their territories, and they had Jamaica okay. and the Bahamas. And that's when things took off. Um, because before that, there were, there were tariffs on all of this stuff going into Europe, into Britain, and, of course, then going to the American colonies, which were under British control at that point. Right. Uh, to give you an idea in numbers, in 1740... Britain imported 525 tons of mahogany. It's a good bit, though. Ten years later, in 1750, they imported 3,688 tons. Wow. So that's like seven times. Now, in 1788, that's when they peak, 30,000 tons. Wow. In just a year. I wonder what... uh what that works out to board footage wise, like what's the yeah? What how is much that? does one board foot of mahogany weigh? It's pretty light. It's probably got to be. I don't know. And you're figuring it's trees, no? And they're milling it in. Yeah, yeah, like just logs coming yeah, over. Yeah. So it's got to be. You know, let's say a board foot weighs a pound, mm-hmm. and that's that's light. It's got to be more than that. Yeah, is that like a like a cubic, a cubic foot of oak? I think weighs like forty something pounds. Wow, that's, so that's pretty 12, heavy. Yeah, twelve board feet. Yeah, or no, thirty six thirty six pounds. Well, anyway, I won't. Well, I'm not going to drag this up. <laughs> it's so early. It's got to be like like uh, thirty thousand times two tw- times two thousand. That's what thir- uh, sixty six, million six hundred thousand times two thousand. Oh, no, yeah. Wow, that's a lot of zeros. Yeah, so it might like 6 million board feet. 30,000 times 2,000. 60 million. 60 million. 60 million board feet. Yeah, that's assuming it's a pound for a board foot. Yeah. Wow. So this Jamaican, Bahamian, mostly Jamaican mahogany, of course it gets over to the colonies. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what we're concerned with. So how did mahogany actually get all the way up to New England? Um, the first documented uh, record I could find was in Rhode Island in 1730. And it was in a court document, of all things, <laughs> because 
Sutton Grant, a Scottish-born merchant, delivered a, par- a parcel of mahogany to joiner William Robinson. Mm. Um, Robinson died before he could, <laughs> before he could the get job. it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, court documents from all those years ago survive, and Grant sued. Isn't that crazy? I call I call the doctor to try and get information on a surgery I had back in like 2005. Gone. Meanwhile, 1720, they got a mahogany transaction <laughs> that, that we know. That we know the guy's names. We know, the, and then we have computers now. Yeah. You just put it in there; it's there forever. They're like, no, we got rid of that. We have the the premise of all this. You know why it happens. Um, I didn't write it to, oh, I, he sued. So the details of the transaction are that Robinson was supposed to build a bookcase and a desk for 25 pounds. Um, and I, I figured it out and hopefully this is accurate. That's $6,052 in, uh, 2021 currency. Wow. Again, it, it, it's gotta be just ballpark because we're using these uh, online yes. calculators. Yep. We don't know. Um, you gotta say like, what's a pound in 1730 worth. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> but remind you of anything. <laughs> We're on the other end of that case, but uh, yeah, yeah. People, yeah. you know, not getting paid except we finished the job. We didn't mm-hmm. die. That's right. I wonder who he sued. I guess the, his estate. Yes. Yes. <clears throat> uh, so again, Time and place, world events influence furniture design. Prior to the discovery of mahogany, English furniture makers preferred walnut, much of it imported from France. Mm-hmm. And fashion in the colonies followed European trends. So colonial cabinet makers who had access to walnut especially used quite a bit of walnut for their better work. It's funny, we haven't seen a lot of examples of that. Right, we haven't. Most the of the early American stuff. stuff was all oak. Yeah, and we kind of flash through that maha- that uh, walnut period. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but they were using it for their better work, as opposed to cherry and maple. Those were the other. Those were the bit of lesser woods. Right. Um, so what happens? Seventeen oh nine. There's a brutal frost in France, and it kills a bunch of walnut. Wow. Um, and in the years following, France decides they're going to ban all exports of walnut. Now there's this big void to fill. Uh, and this is this is me writing. I'll read directly from my uh, pondering. It's hard to say how these circumstances, if they had not occurred, if there was a normal walnut harvest and France had not banned exports, would have affected the transition from walnut to mahogany as the premier wood for fine furniture. Yeah. Like, if there's no frost, if if France still is pushing walnut out the door. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I feel like, now I haven't worked with genuine mahogany, um, but I feel like mahogany and walnut have a similar, like, workability. Like, mm-hmm. they're similar... Um, Obviously, they look a lot different, but they do work very similarly. Yeah. They have that sort of, like, well, I guess walnuts maybe 
Well, no, even they do have that same like amount of open grain and they're kind of, you know, hard, but not too hard. Yeah. I, I love working with walnut. Um, the, the times that I've had to use it, uh, are pretty spare, mm -hmm. you know, that we don't, and it, it has always been kind of costly too, yeah. to get the better stuff. I mean, now the, the kind of stuff they pass off to us, it's really, it, <laughs> yeah, it's like firewood basically. It is. It is. It's really disgusting. You know, graded on a different scale altogether than all the other hardwoods. Yeah. So we're talking about. You know, mid 18th century, 1750s, 60s, colonial Americans become enamored with the rich colors and silky surfaces of mahogany. I yeah, mean, it's, it's that European influence trickling back in. You know, yeah. they, there's everyone is still looking to Europe for all of the sort of uh, cues. Yeah, of what is the the hot. I mean, it's the same thing now. <laughs> right we're not trendsetters here typically the trends are happening in in europe and uh, you know when you're talking about like fashion and stuff like that and it then it comes here right right exactly and it was kind of it was exotic mm -hmm. you know coming from the west indies uh the, the, we still look at things like that oh it's imported yeah. look at this imported cheese look yeah. at this you know they're, Drinking they're, my Fiji water. <laughs> right. Came all the way from Fiji. <laughs> I'm guilty of that with my San Pellegrino yeah. water. <laughs> but, I mean, look at how big Perrier has been yeah. in America for, I, I think it got over here in the 70s, maybe. Mm -hmm. That's um, Perrier is what, French? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I don't. I'm not a big fan of Perrier when I've had it. Um, so there is, I I wonder if um, if Europeans see it the same way. I mean, is there anything that we make over here that you could think of that over there they say, well, it's made in the USA? Um, I mean, I think there's definitely like novelty stuff. Like I watch a guy on YouTube who's British and he, you know, you see in the grocery store, they have, like, ah, an American section, and they have, like, all this stupid, you know, frosted flakes. Oh, and, yeah. You know, just dumb stuff like that. But, like, we think of German tools. Yeah. Swiss accuracy. Mm -hmm. Italian design. Yeah. Do we have anything like that? Not anymore. <laughs> well, we have technology that we uh, develop, but we don't produce it after that. It yeah. Just Gets built in China. Yeah. And even then, the uh, the design team is an amalgamation of people from all different countries. Right. I mean, that's the thing. Like, you see, I mean, you know, that's one of the great things about America. But, um, like, if you see our Olympic team or our technology departments, there are people from India, people from uh, Europe, mm -hmm. from everywhere in the world uh, coming together to... to make it happen here mm -hmm. because we have the, you know, the platform. Yep. So how did mahogany get to New England? Uh, obviously Airplane. on a boat. <laughs> no. no. Um, the British controlled Jamaica. Their, their main trade was sugar mm -hmm. uh, and slaves. I'll say that. <laughs> They're probably making rum with that sugar. That's right. And 
Remember the triangle trade route from, mm-hmm. uh, was that uh, junior high school or high school? Mm-hmm. Or? I don't remember. So th- this, is how, this is how it went. The ships from England go to Africa, and they bring iron products, cloth, beads, mm-hmm. guns, ammunition, and they trade these goods to the Africans for slaves, for other Africans. Right. Gold and spices like pepper. Mm. So they load up the ships with slaves and they go down to, well, they take them to the American colonies for one. Right. And and they called that the Middle Passage. And from there, they were exchanged for goods from the Americas that, that were, uh, you know, would head back up to Europe. They would take the raw materials back to England, and England would use the raw materials, make finished goods, and send them back to the colonies. Right. So in in this triangle, you had the, the sugar and the rum that were produced in— Tobacco. Yeah, down in— um, the Caribbean. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm getting ahead of, ahead of myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Slaves were there too. Yeah. <laughs> and then <clears throat> the discovery, quote unquote, discovery of mahogany. Mm-hmm. They're like, hey, we could pick this up while we're here. That's right. That's right. So mahogany becomes this integral part of this triangle. Mm-hmm. Now, you got the slaves there to um, do all the hard work. And we could pick up something else to put on the boats. Yeah. And Jamaican mahogany was really the most sought after. Um, it was denser, more lustrous, and had more dramatic grain. They say. So um, these ships are going from England to Africa to South to the um, Caribbean. Then they're hitting the coast as the Middle Passage, and then going back to England. I Is guess that how it's so. I'm not sure if they were if they they went. I have it here. They go from Africa to the American colonies straight with the slaves. Right. Um, but uh, then maybe they go south to the. Yeah, um, I'm not sure. I, I must have left that out. And this has been a long time since I studied this. But definitely, there's a triangle. Yeah, because the sugar is going where. Sugar. The sugar is the raw material. It com- it goes back to England. England because it gets refined. Yeah, so, they- so it must go from Africa to the colonies. That was the first place they dropped off slaves. Then they went down to the Caribbean, then back up to England. Yeah, because they're definitely dropping slaves off in the, I don't I want to call it the southern colonies for some reason, but for to the Caribbean. Yeah. Because they're yeah. the ones harvesting all the sugar. That's right. They're doing all that work. I mean, that's how, you know, black people ended up in Jamaica. Yeah. Because the native exactly. people, you know, like the... Um, Taino. Yeah. Were, was that the name of the people that were in in uh, Jamaica? I know that's like Puerto Rico was yeah. the Taino. Um, yeah. And Haiti, everything. So, uh, away from that... That uh, gruesome <laughs> subject a little bit. Yeah. Um, here's something I learned. There's really no such thing as a mahogany forest. Hmm. Not not naturally occurring anyway. Right. So essentially you have these rainforests on Jamaica, 
and they would have uh, these spotters, huntsmen they call them, wow. that would go out into the jungles and spot all the best trees to be chopped down. This just blue text. Oh, uh, no link. Oh, damn. No, I can copy and paste it. Because there was a there was a great drawing of two, I'll have to say it, slaves chopping down this huge mahogany tree. Yeah, oh, look at yeah. it. Yeah, they have a little scaffolding set up. Mm-hmm. Felling mahogany in Honduras. And those, are, and those are small trees. Yeah. And there's one already felled there in the middle. Yeah. This guy's cooking lunch. <laughs> I didn't even see him until just that, now. That's an idyllic artist's representation yeah. of what's going on. Like, yeah, look, it wasn't that bad. Yeah, come on. So they had the spotters. Mm-hmm. They'd get, they'd, and then they'd have slaves... Chopping them down. Mm-hmm. Imagine a hundred foot tall, eight foot across mahogany tree in the forest. Now you're going to have to get that tree to the to the port. Yeah, you got to cut it down first, which is right. crazy. So that's that's you know ruminate on that a little bit. Yeah, they used to try and do it during the rainy seasons. And like slide them down, mm-hmm. in, you know, in in currents of water. Got no cryogenically, you know, treated blades. No. <laughs> Working with stuff that's just tempered, you know, in the like old school way. <laughs> yeah, it was it was brutal. It was brutal. But get this, it was the favored position of a slave. Because working in the sugarcane fields and the boiling houses, oh Lord, I can only imagine, was so horrific that at least they got to be out. There was a certain uh, compared to to the sugarcane um, fields. There was a certain amount of autonomy they felt. Mm-hmm. Every now and again, you could slip away into the jungle and yeah. disappear. <laughs> um. And it, it didn't go without note at the time. I mean, it's easy for us to look back. I mean, that's the danger when you are a historian is that you get forward in history and hopefully you've become more aware and educated. But you don't want to be totally judgmental of what happened in the past because people are living in their time. Right. But I, I thought this was a, a quote from one of my favorite authors, Charles Dickens, who He's a contemporary of that time, um, and he was a, a big uh, critic of uh, the harshness of urban life mm-hmm. in England. And he said, in the depths of its grain, he's speaking of mahogany, through all its polish, it reflects the hue of wretched slaves. Yeah, he was a, uh... wait, is he? He's British. Yeah, when he says wretched slaves, is he calling the slaves wretched or the fact that they were slaves? No, wretched? that they were slaves. Right, yeah. yeah. So he was, you know, he was ahead of his time. Yeah, he was, you know, he wrote all those books, you know, um 
tale not uh, great expectations, a tale of two cities, hard times, and in it, you know, um, he's always, you know, uh, illustrating, you know, kids working in factories, putting labels on when they're like six years old. Mm-hmm. Or, and stuff like that. Yeah, how these urban lifestyles are basically destroying. Yeah, they, yeah. black soot <clears throat> over London. Um, here was another shocker. So this is maybe 30 years into the mahogany um, rage, we'll call it. By 1760s, Jamaican mahogany is basically gone. Yeah, well... They're going up into the mountains where the trees aren't growing as big. They're not as nice. And so um, they're not selling. People are, you know, inspecting them, go, this isn't as good as the last batch. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I don't want it. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> if it takes 30 years for a trend to sort of go out like that, it means we got about another another 22 years of river tables. <laughs> 28 years of charcuterie boards. Oh, my God. I don't know if I can survive that. Um, Yeah, it, it's because they didn't replant. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't replant. They just chopped. They, uh, they, weren't, uh, they weren't thinking about the future. Yeah, and um, it's the quality, quantity drops, uh, conditions... And and all that that goes along with it dropped too, mm-hmm. like the, because the people who are running these things are, you know, cruel and cold hearted, looking at the bottom line. So you know what it's like. You could imagine them just driving the slaves harder. Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, it's like the slash and burn mindset. Mm-hmm. Like just get all get all the resources we can out of this place because they don't care about you know you're from right. Spain. They don't. They could care less about. Uh, you know, Jamaica or, you know, well, that was British. You know, the Brits didn't care about Jamaica. They wanted to suck all the resources out and move on to the next place. Right. So for the most part, for any kind of, you know, on any kind of scale, authentic mahogany from the Caribbean disappeared 250 years ago. Wow. I mean, of course, trees have grown back. And Mm -hmm. just like, you know, we lost a chestnut and we got it back. Right. But... It's few and far between. Mm-hmm. I, I I write in my notes here, uh, somewhat sarcastically. Next stop, Honduras. <laughs> Which that's the mahogany that we're all familiar with. Yes, you know Honduran mahogany is yes. like the quintessential mahogany. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the whole process repeats itself. Wash, rinse, repeat. Yeah, I I think. By by that time, they had learned a little bit of a lesson, and maybe either there were more natural resources, it's bigger place. You know, the islands had much less uh, area where these trees could grow to, in optimum conditions. Mm-hmm. And in Honduras, there's probably a lot more there. Right. Yeah, and, you know, as the infrastructure starts to be built on, let's say, Jamaica— that's less area for trees. You exactly. Know? There has to be a port. There has to be, you know, housing and and all the things that support all of the things that are going on. Um, Could you imagine them building docks and everything out of big mahogany trees? Yeah, they probably did that on Oak Island. <laughs> hey, 
hey, Oak Island is coming back. Is it? Yeah. There's going to be a new episode in a couple of weeks. Look at this. Freddie, if you're listening, he just sent me this uh, Shaper Powermatic mm. with a Maji feeder. Wow. That's worth just for the feeder. Look at all the cutters. Holy cow. Two walls worth. thousand bucks. Amazing. Wish we had the space. Yeah. I mean, if we had the space, we could be collecting tools. I know. And machines. But that's another story. Um, so how did a cabinet maker get mahogany? That, that was my next question because you couldn't go down to the store. Mm -hmm. You probably didn't have the cash. You couldn't chop it down and dry it. Mm -hmm. So how, how did you get mahogany? Um, I found that it was basically through the barter economy. Uh, Somebody who wanted something built will come and they say, hey, Jeff, I want you to build these uh, two desks for me out of mahogany. I'm going to give you a thousand board feet. And that's going to be your payment. So these are upper crust sort of people who are approaching a, a furniture maker for a commission. Right. Like they're dealing direct in the. They're a mercantile. They're dealing with sugar coming up. They're sending it to England. They got mm -hmm. some some mahogany that came in on the boat. Yeah, a lot of you know the original um, clients are the guys who are the buyers and sellers. Right. They're bringing in a, a shipload of mahogany mm -hmm. um, because they're the people with all the uh, dispensable wealth to begin right. with. Yeah, you're the farmer isn't buying a Chippendale design no, mahogany high boy. He's going for something built out of native woods. He's probably banging it together with nails at his house right. with, with big pine boards. And he, even somebody who's in the market to purchase a piece, and chances are they're buying something native, you know, yeah, and made by one of the country cabinet makers. Mm -hmm. So I I tried to, I, I did my damnedest to get the prices of these things. Mm -hmm. Um, we tried figuring out that mahogany was 18 cents a board foot. It was the most expensive of the woods, walnut being second and then maple. Could you imagine that? Well, I mean, it was yeah, 18, so that it, was their dollar. Was that their dollars, 18 cents in, uh, in their money? I don't know. But remember, we had 1.4 shillings was $5. Yeah. So five divided by 1.4. That's $3.50 per shilling. So let's just say it was 18 shillings. That's sixty four twenty eight a board foot. Yeah, that kind of sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I yeah, wish I mean, imagine if, if remember, because we were saying that $5 seemed low. Yeah. If, you, if that was $50, it'd be $600 a board foot. So it must yeah. be, that must be good. Must be. Must be right. I wish we had some accurate conversions for yeah. these things. It, because every every spot I went to gave me something drastically different. Yeah, it's tough. Um, a lot of them are like, you know, high school websites and things like mm -hmm. that, you know. Uh, but I can't verify my sources. <laughs> but I did see a YouTube video. It was the most expensive. And if if we were in the market for a mahogany... We had to be hired to make something, 
and we probably didn't receive any cash. Mm-hmm. But then we'd have like 800 board feet of mahogany. Yeah. And now we could sell it. Mm-hmm. You know, sell a piece. I, I have in Newport, wealthy folks and merchants commissioning furniture would often pay for the work with the mahogany itself. A few examples. In 1760, cabinet maker John Cahoon, he built a desk, a three and a half foot table, and a tea table in exchange for 243 board feet of mahogany. Not bad. That's like what, like 12 grand? Yeah. Well, he had to use, you know, you got to use some of that to, to make the stuff. So, uh, well, well, yeah. yeah. So, depending on how big that uh, desk was and how involved, you know, tea table probably didn't take too much. Yeah. Well, here's John Goddard again. There he is. He built a high chest of drawers, a desk, and a bookcase for 1,091 board feet of mahogany. And the pieces called for about 180 board feet, it says. Seems kind of slim, doesn't it? 180 board feet for three pieces? I mean, if that's right, he got paid like 50 grand to make those. Yeah. He was he was a badass. He, he was well. He was the dude. He was the man. Yeah. Um, except for Chippendale, who didn't live in the Americas, it was John Goddard. Yeah. Maybe it was some of that ratty, Honduran uh, mahogany. Not that nice Jamaican stuff. <laughs> Merchants would bring in shipments as large as forty-four thousand board feet. Wow. So a, a shipload, a boatload of mahogany. Talking yeah, millions of dollars of mahogany. Yeah, that that kind of makes sense as a translation. Yeah. Um, Christopher Townsend, uh, John's daddy or uncle, actually would stock it up, and he specified where it went in his will. Hmm. That's how valuable it was. Yeah. All right. All right, we're going to end our mahogany with uh, a few fun fun facts. facts. A mahogany tree can grow as high as 200 feet. 150 feet is not a big deal. Well, Well, I mean, we're talking about, I guess, if we leave it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, how, how tall are the sequoias? 300 feet? Yeah, yeah. Those are the biggest ones, right, the sequoias? Yeah, yeah. They can live to be 350 years old. That's nothing. Wow. The fruit of the big leaf mahogany is called sky fruit. Sky fruit. I want to see what that looks like. Yeah, it, it kind of looks like a big nut. Huh. And um, mahogany produces both male and female flowers on the same tree. I didn't know flowers worked that way. Yeah, that's what the pollination. Yeah, I thought they had both parts, the uh, all flowers. Yeah, I I think um, and then the bees got to go in and uh, look, you buy it on eBay. Is this it? <laughs> I only saw pictures of the of the whole nut. Looks like a Brazil nut. Yeah. Looks like a wrinkled old orange slice. It does. I wonder if that's, um, the f- there. That's what I saw. Hmm. West Indian mahogany, and it Sweet points Atenia upward. Mahogany, uh, ten seeds see. for nine dollars. Look, we start planting our own trees. Uh, I did read that George Washington tried planting mahogany, 
and they all failed. That wasn't a cherry tree you cut down. And you know who we blamed? That was a mahogany tree. The slaves for not watering it enough. Bastards. Father of our country. That lion cherry tree cutter. Yeah. Makes me want to get my hands on some uh, mahogany. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure because I, I can't tell. But I have some uh, somewhat all-growth mahogany. I had a couple of boards, mm-hmm. thick boards, eight-quarter, that uh, an old guy who had actually quit um, cabinet making, let's say, 20 years before, and he was selling off a bunch of stuff because his kids were going to take his house. <laughs> I mean, these Throw are sad the stories. But you know what it's like when the, the old guy gets, you don't want to end up that way, mm-hmm. you know, they're like, Dad, you can't get around anymore. I want you to clean out all this crap in the garage. So I went over there one day. He was selling a bunch. That's where I got those brown mats, those original brown oh, okay. mats. And a couple of things. And, you know, he was, by the end of our conversation, he just wanted to give me a bunch of stuff. He's like, yeah, this guy's going to actually use it. And so he took me over to his wood pile. And he gave me enough mahogany. I made two guitar bodies, actually one bass and one guitar. Mm -hmm. And that guitar body is that I I made my daily player out of that mahogany. Nice. Um, So it lives on his. I'm sure he's passed away by now. It's been. That's a great choice for a guitar body. Yeah, it's been a while. So I like to think that I'm honoring him Mm -hmm. by creating something that lives on and has a life. Yeah. Being a musical instrument. Yeah. Um, and the other one is played by a good friend of mine who's a professional musician. He's, nice. Uh, and it, it is some special wood. It is, uh, so I don't know what type of mahogany it uh, is. You have some end grain on there? Yeah, you, you can, see? Yeah, you can see the end grain, like where the horn is yeah, and yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, you could like probably. That. I might be able to identify. Get in there with like a jeweler's loop and. Yeah. That would be cool, um, but it's got the it had the nice workability. It had the you know the nice color to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it is getting darker. Yeah. Um, and so when I started researching this, I had no idea that we would make a whole episode on mahogany. Yeah, mahogany's like cherry. Where when you think of mahogany, because it's been you, t- <laughs> yeah. you think of this like really yeah. dark. <laughs> Like brown, dark brown. It's become a color. But yeah, it's it's really it's a much lighter. Um, yeah. How many times have we showed mahogany to a client, like unfinished, and they said that's mahogany, like that's cherry. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, mean, yeah, I, I, mean, I can never showed on mahogany because we don't have any. But. Yeah, I could think of a few times, I guess, um, because it, it has that sort of pinkish brown mm-hmm. to it. Yeah. Uh, and they're thinking of like the color of the coffee mug in a way. Yeah. Yeah, like that dark bottom area. And a lot of you know, a lot of the mahogany, real mahogany furniture you see is so patinaed mm-hmm. that it is really, really dark. But yeah. Yeah. Wow. So you had to be full on uh, nerd to to make it through this far. Yeah. That or you really want to know about mahogany. <laughs> and, uh, 
you know, a lot of the stuff that I would look up because of the climate nowadays where we're trying to expose and correct, so to speak, mm-hmm. all the things we did in the past, you know, a lot of the mahogany um, information was about how cruel uh, it was and how, what the cost in humanity was to getting yeah. mahogany into, you know, from trees to boards in uh, Europe and America. Yeah. It's a shame that, you know, that it went down like that and that it that it was all depleted, you know. Imagine if they remained untouched and now we had all these mahogany trees that could be managed and, you know, right. sustainably harvested. Right. Because, we like, that's one of the things we like to... Uh, consider when we're doing things we go with native hardwoods we try and limit it limit our palette of wood to what's around the northeast and you know for our quote-unquote exotic we go with sapili which is for the most part managed yeah oh yeah absolutely um and that's important you know you can see what'll happen if if not yeah Uh, 30 years time yeah holy cow Crazy. That was a shocker. Yeah. Yeah, it's just now I think the Honduran mahogany is starting to become harvestable again. Wow. Yeah. Well, I don't know about you. I'm hungry. Yeah, is it lunchtime? Yeah. It's 1220. Yeah. Oh, wow. I got got a nice turkey sandwich with that... uh, with that mayo you gave oh, me. Oh, yeah, that, chili uh, lime. Chili lime mayo. Yeah, I got to figure out how to make myself a little sandwich. Uh, we got to thank the gold tier patrons, Adam Podhouse, Colin Lai, Corey Ty, David Murphy, David Shoemaker, Jerry Greenan, Keith Drennan, and Manny Siriani. Also want to give a little plug to, uh, if you want to support the podcast, go get yourself some vesting finishes. Uh, we are an affiliate of theirs. Must dec- disclose that according to the, what is it, FCC? I think so. FTC? Big FTC. Brother. Oh, Federal, Federal Trade. Trade Commission. Yeah. 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 Um, can help support the podcast. Use some of the finish that we use. We'll get a little uh, little slice of the pie if you buy something from them. RPMCodingSolutions.com. Uh, they make all kinds of um, hard, uh, hard wax oil finishes, lacquer, mm-hmm. and uh, LED cured finishes and stuff. And the really nice stuff made in Holland. You can check them out. Leave a review if you feel yeah. so inclined. Yeah. Check us out on YouTube for the uh, all the. Well, actually, we don't really have any photos for this one, but uh, for all the other episodes, you get to see all the pictures and stuff. Yes. So yeah, that's all I got. I'm out. My obligatory plugs at the at the end. <laughs> well, it, we're doing them all, you know, uh, consecutively, but yeah. uh, it. They're a week apart for Mm -hmm. the folks at home. Well, we appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Everybody uh, take care. Catch you next week.